the King, praise the King, praise the King. Glory to God in the highest. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, goodness. You know, you never know when you make a statement how it may change a lot of people's lives. You know, who would ever dream that you could make a simple little statement and it changed thousands of people's lives? But four years ago, actually coming up on five years ago, I was standing right here in this pulpit and I made a little statement. I had no idea that when I told a little story about how I used to go to Buckner's and buy things for the children, at Christmas I made a statement. I said, do something for somebody in need this year. I said, don't go out and spend a bunch of money on a bunch of people that don't need or don't want what you buy. That's going to either take it back or send it or put it in a closet or whatever. I said, that's wasteful. I said, do something for somebody that has a need this year for Christmas. had no idea that the Lord was going to move on the heart of a precious young lady in this church, and it was going to change her life forever, and it was going to change lots of people's lives. But five years ago, when I made that statement, my now wife, Cheryl, was moved on by the Holy Spirit to do something, and she started a benefit for Christ Haven children. And that first year, you know, she went out and she spent hours doing benefits, collecting money, going and talking to people, and people donated money to her and items and things. And I forget how many thousand dollars, but she had several thousand dollars the first year. And in every year, her goal has increased. And every year, I know the goal last year was about 20, I think we had a... I think, yeah, I think she really thought she was going to go overboard last year, and she would, this is the fourth year, and she would seek to get $24,000 for these kids. And I think she topped about 35 or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, she's done some great things. So, this year, her faith is greater. This year, she's believing she's going to get 50. You know, so last year, she changed all these people's lives. And she has changed them. And, of course, the people at Christ Haven, they stand in awe. They, have, they say they have never seen anything like this. Now, many of you in this church are involved with this. You go out with her or out to her daughter's restaurant where they feed those kids. And they get to open those packages and everything. And some of those little kids, you know, that, I mean, most of those poor little kids never had Christmas until Cheryl came into their life. You know, because they come from battered homes. I mean, beaten, battered homes, you know. You've been involved in this, Shelley. Have you been out there with this? You had not been out there? I thought you... I know you've helped and done things, but, you know, a lot of people have no idea that some little children are lived in such beat-up, battered homes in America. I mean, you know, most of us are blessed abundantly. You know, we waste more money than some people have. We really do. Many of us waste more money. We go out to eat and spend more money than some people's budget. You know, I mean, there's people. There's people in this church. In fact, I had a couple here a while back. I, it's been a few years ago. I'd done something, uh, a couple, they called me, and uh, he wanted me to help his wife set up a computer program. And so he knew I knew a little bit about computers. So I said, sure. So I went out and I helped them set up a budget and everything for their home just to, so she could take care and keep up the records of her finances in her home. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to be personal. It says, now, put in uh, an amount you think you're going to put in for your household budget this year. So I said, when I leave, you can change this number and put it whatever you want to. She said, oh, no, no, I want to start out with an actual number. 
I said, well, okay. I said, so what do you think your household budget will be? This is just the household. Oh, she said about 200000 ought to be okay. <laughs> that's her household budget. That's to buy groceries and take people out to dinner. You know, at 200 I thought, what? I mean, I, I don't even think in numbers like that. And she just said, oh, about 200000 would be okay. And so I set up this program and got her going. And they were such lovely people on fire for Jesus. Both of them loved God with all their heart. And so after I got it done, she said, well, how much do I owe you? I said, oh, you don't owe me nothing. I just come over and did this because I love you. So he called me later and said, I want to take you to dinner. I said, okay. And so I said, well, he said, I want you to meet me at a certain place. So I met him at a certain place. And they took me up here in the North Dallas to some great big giant hotel that has a big restaurant on top. And I had never been in such a fancy place. He said, you know, wear a tie tonight, when you come. don't come in your blue jeans. I said, oh, okay. So I didn't know what to expect. So I wore a suit and a tie, and I think the cheapest thing on the menu was about 80 bucks. I, I, I looked at that, and I'm kind of, he said, don't worry. Anything you want, you order it, and don't look at the price. I thought, now I know why her household budget is 200 grand. <laughs> wow. You know, I don't live like that very often. And if you expect me to take you to dinner to a place like that, forget it. I, <laughs> we won't never be there. I might take you down to Denny's or something one night for dinner <laughs> for six or eight bucks. But I don't take you somewhere where the meals cost 80 to to $100. I just don't have that kind of money. But there is people in this world that are blessed like that. And I think about people that are blessed like that. And then I think about this poor little group of children that Cheryl ministers to every year. In fact, these kids, the one, some of them have been there all four years. And some of them are saying, wow, you wait till Miss Cheryl comes in at Christmas. You ain't never seen Christmas. Wait till Christmas. Well, she's going to do that again. And I'm going to let her come up here and tell you about what she's going to do and how she needs your help. Honey, it's all yours. As soon as he. Yeah, that's past my uh, sale. Okay, that helps. Okay. All right, well, we're, uh, like you said, my goal this year is 50000 The first year we raised 16000 The second year was 18000 The third year was 21000 And then last year, the largest blew the top off the deal. And like you said, it was almost thirty-five. Well, so this year I thought, okay, goal of 50000 that's great. Well, then I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Uh, well, there's 50 kids at the Christ Haven for Children. They're abused, battered, neglected children. They've been, their lives are awful. And most of them have, their parents are in, in prisons. And uh, they're from age 1 to 18. I think we have one that's 18 years old. So there's infants as well as, you know. And like you said, too, a lot of the kids have been there all five years. Well, this year we're also encompassing... 40 children from Open Arms Battered Women's Shelter that's associated with this Christ Haven for Children. So that means I have 90 kids to buy for, as well as the mothers. And I don't know how many mothers there are. I figure maybe 15 to 20 mothers at the battered shelter that I at least want to give gift certificates to so that they can, you know, because they come into a, it's a, 
I think the battered shelter is in Arlington. It's does you know it's a hidden shelter, so no one knows the address or anything. And all of this is funneled through Christ Haven. But um, we're going to have it Saturday, um, December sixteenth, from two to four p.m. So any so this is, since it's not on Sundays this year, any of y'all can come. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to come help wrap presents. <laughs> we're going to have twice as many presents, so we're going to need lots of help. And I need money, our presents. So uh, if you're going to give me money, I would really like if you write me a check to write it in my name and notate on it. It's for Christ Haven for Children Benefit. That way I can spend the money. If you give it to me to, that's, it, that says Christ Haven, then I have to give it directly to them, which is fine. I always give them some cash. I think last year we gave them $5,000 worth of cash. But what I do because they don't get anything during the year, like they don't get anything for their birthdays. They don't get to, in fact, they don't get to go out to eat at restaurants. So it's a really big deal. You know, if you want to go buy some restaurant coupons, they suggested Chili's because Chili's covers several restaurants. Go for it. We get CeCe's Pizza every year gives me $3,000 worth of buffets. They love it. They all can go 40 kids with the house parents and go out to eat. But they don't get to go out to eat like we do. They also don't get to, uh, like say, birthdays. They don't get to go do anything during the year at all. Zero. So I buy them, uh, well, I always get them Six Flags tickets, which is a big thing because they just went to something there and they're going to something at Christmas time. Uh, so they get to go to Six Flags, you know, during their season. I get them ice skating, bowling, putt-putt, golf, you know, uh, they love game works. I mean, so if you want to buy coupons anyplace, that's great, too. Anything is, we love anything you want to do. We love it. Uh, it was, uh, well, some of these kids, they're, they're so excited because one little boy, he never had clothes with new tags on them. Another little boy had never had Christmas before. He didn't even know what Christmas was. And so it's just, you know, you, you see the change in their face. You see how, like I say, the ones that have been there for five years, they tell all the other kids, just you wait. <laughs> you know, just you wait till this party that Cheryl and Christy are going to have. So we would really love for you all to get involved. I just, I've been out of town. Uh, my, my uncle passed away and my dad's brother and, um, I want to thank all of y'all that prayed for me because I definitely needed the prayers. I did a lot of ministering out there. I watched him take his last breath. Um, you know, so it was, it was a hard time for everybody that was there, but I appreciate all the prayers. So I just got back in and got the the package with all wish lists. So I, I haven't, I've just been sorting it. I, I don't have it all listed as to what they want yet. So when I get all that together, I can start bringing it up here and y'all can I mean if there's like if there's a child you want to adopt if you want to go out and get all the presents for that child praise God I would love you so much <laughs> I would love you anyway but you know it would really be neat if, if you help in any way we would appreciate it so just get with me ask me questions and I'll I'll just let you know what's going on but thank you and thank y'all y'all blessed me so much and blessed the children so much last year you really you really did. Thousands of dollars came from this church. I think it was about, uh, I think it was around almost $6,000 just came from this church. So praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the King. Glory to God. Let's turn to the, in the Word of God to the book of Romans. We're going to talk a little bit about faith in the law. <laughs> 
You know, this is, seems to be one of the toughest things that it's ever been for me to master. I don't know why this took me so long to master this. And maybe I haven't mastered it yet, but I'm working on it. It's, I, I, I guess I just don't believe the Word. You know, isn't that something? Just don't believe the Word. I mean, I never met a man that believed the Word. I never met a woman that believed the Word. We believe pieces, but we don't believe all of it. This book is so powerful that if you ever get a human being that believes everything in this book, wow, where you could walk. Right, Pastor? Where you could walk if you could get to the point where you could believe God with no doubt in your heart. You could walk, if you could believe Him and what He said and what some of the things we're going to talk about today, your life would be so holy that nobody could be in your presence without getting saved and healed. If you could walk here. I mean, the power, the power source, God is in you and I. Now then, if we could walk as holy as He says and do everything He says, we could use Jesus as our example and be like Him. What happened when people were around our Master? What happened? They changed. That's right. They got saved. They got healed. They got delivered. Demons fled. I mean, it didn't make any difference if He come up... I mean, most of us today... In the church, or like I was most of my life, I'm going to guarantee you that most of my life in the church, if I'd have been in this, if I'd have been in a church service like I was right here just a, a couple of years ago, when it was about a 14 or 15 year old young man that come in with his dad and mother sitting right over there, about where Sharon's sitting right now, and we were standing and worshiping and singing, and that boy had a seizure right there and fell on the floor and began to kick and everything, and his eyeballs caged and everything else. When I heard that, I run over there and I saw that boy laying on the floor. I pounced up on top of him, I mean, and began to beat him in the chest, screaming, you devil of hell, turn him loose, come out of him in the name of Jesus. It hadn't been many years ago, if I'd have even, if I'd have walked over there, I'd have said, oh my goodness, I don't know what's wrong with him, but somebody called 911, we've got to have some help. That's where we live in the church. That's where we live. We don't realize our power and authority. But that day, I mean, Fred was singing that day, and after I'm sitting over there, everybody, we had a pretty full house that day, and I'm over there with a young boy on the floor screaming, come out of him, you devil of hell, and all of a sudden Fred says, let's go back to worship and praise while he's driving that devil out of that young man. And so the church started singing again and praising and worshiping at God. Was there anybody here, is there anybody here today that was here that day? Benjamin was here, Cheryl was here. Oh, we got a few, there was a few that was here. Well, most of y'all wasn't here that day. Y'all missed that. <laughs> Normal day at church, Keith. <laughs> but now see, if we believe this book, we'll do what the king says. You think that's what Jesus would have done? I believe with all my heart that's what Jesus would have done. He wouldn't have called for a doctor. He is the best doctor i ever seen. And the best doctor i ever seen is in me and he's in you. So, you know, he's not very far away. You don't have to call very far. The greater one is in us. But we don't believe this. 
We really forget that so easily. Whenever we run into a problem, we forget the greater one is in us. You don't have to go up to heaven to get him. You don't have to go down into the depths to find him. He's right here. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's in you. But we don't we forget that so easy. Now then when I say it's difficult for us to believe what this book says, I believe that the majority of the church today is like I was most of my life. I lived under the law most of my life as a Christian. I didn't understand the freedom that I had in Christ. But we're going to talk about that a little today. We're going to start in Romans chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 10. And it has, in my Bible, I'm using the King James today. It makes a statement, the very first thing right here, that absolutely is one of the most important statements in the Word of God. Father, as we study your Word, I ask you to reveal to us the truth of your mighty Word. Show us what you really mean here, that you really mean what you say. Help us to receive it. Help us to walk in it. Help us to believe you. And then help us to act on everything you say today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, bless us. Thank you, Father. Now, I rebuke every evil spirit, command every spirit to leave this place, and not one single word be stolen out of no one's heart by the evil spirits of hell. They are to leave and not steal a word out of nobody's heart in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us power and authority over the evil spirits. In the name of our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. The statement here says, as it is written. If it's written in this book, you can take it to the bank. As it's written. If it's written, you can take it to the bank. Now, the problem today with the church, it's not uncommon at all to be riding down the road with someone and you start talking about Jesus. And you say, where do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm a Christian. Where do you go to church? Well, I, I know I don't go often enough, but I go to certain, certain church when I go. Well, why don't you go? Well, I don't have time. You know, I'm too busy. You know, after, after all, you know, God doesn't, He knows, He knows, He, he, knows, he knows that I don't have time. You know, I, I, I serve Him once in a while. Well, how's, how's your family life going? Well, it's not doing too good. My wife and I are fixing to get a divorce. Oh, so you're not doing too good, huh? No, no, things are not going too well, but uh, we've been separated for two months. But I've already found me another girlfriend. I've already found me another girlfriend. Yeah, I met this nice young girl, you know, me and her going together. And in fact, I'm, I'm, going, I'm staying over at her house some, you know. You sleeping together? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, what's wrong with that? Now, see, these are people that say they're Christians. They don't know nothing about the Word. Don't know nothing. And then when you try to tell them, they'll say, well, you know, but Thurman, you know, that's, uh, that was the old Jesus. You know, we've got a... Oh, I know what they did with the new computer generation. Every time you go in and, and click on something in your computer, automatically Microsoft says, updates are waiting. So what they've done, they've 
clicked on update and updated the Bible to a new version that says it's okay to sin. That's what we've done. We believe it's okay to sin. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. Let's see what God has to say about that. As it is written, Wow! There is none righteous. No, not one. So that seems to hit every one of us, doesn't it? None righteous. Not one of us. Wow. There is none that understands. There is none that seeketh after God. Hey, (laughs) this looks just like what we're talking about, doesn't it? You know, this is us today. They are all gone out of the way. Wow. Not one single one. Wow. There's not one that does good. Does that sound like people we're talking about today, Tom? There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Boy. I mean, this thing was written, Paul wrote this down a couple thousand years ago. Things had not changed much, have they? I mean, wickedness. It was everywhere then and it's everywhere now. You would think in 2,000 years we'd learn something, wouldn't you? We haven't learned a thing. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. Are these what are these people? The poison of asp is under their lips. You think, Lord. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Man, he must have been looking down the path to the today. It sure meets where we live, don't it? And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you know today, the average person that's out there, if you ask them, do you know God? Oh, yeah, I know God. You know. And you start talking to them about, you know, your life. If you know God and you're living in this sin, aren't you afraid, you know, that something will happen? I mean, but how do you know God? Well, I got, I got baptized when I was one. In, the, in a certain church. So I know him. Have you ever went to church since? No. And you've done everything in the world wrong. You've been a liar. You've been a thief. You've been an adulterer. You've been a fornicator. You've cussed. You've done everything. You've lived in the world all of your life. But you know God. <laughs> 
Well, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Well, I guess I get to go to heaven. I probably won't get very many rewards because I know I really had not been a very good guy. But I know God. I'm okay. You know anybody like that? They were here then, and they're here today. It never changed. We don't have any fear of God. It doesn't bother me that the outside world has no fear of God. It's that those of us in the church have no fear of God. Do you know that that's why we have all the problems and all the sickness and all the disease and everything we have in the church? It's because we're not afraid of God and we do exactly what we want to do. Now, you come to church, and a lot of people come to church put on a real good show at church. They wouldn't think about taking God's name in vain at church. They wouldn't think about being mean to your husband or your wife in church. But you get in the car to go home, you're a nasty critter. Well, guess what? When you go home, guess who rides in the car with you? I mean, I wonder why it would change if you took your pastor home with you this afternoon. Reckon it would change things? You reckon some people, they took their pastor home with them? You know, I mean, I had been to people's homes as a pastor, and whenever I come to the door, and they said, Mama, it's the pastor. And I see somebody running by picking up magazines and hiding them under the table. Hey, I mean, I just tell them, you know, I mean, I'm just here. I mean, I'm not your judge. I mean, the king, he's here with you. He's in you. He's looking over your shoulder when you're reading those magazines or you're watching those soap operas. You're putting him in there with that. You know, I'm not going to be your judge. He is. And he's going to be here with you all the time. We think we can hide things from God. Or you think some guy said, well, I would never. Like, I, I got an email this week. I read it. About some young man in a group, a music group. Some of you may have got the same email I got. And he has now been singing in churches for a long time, a great young man, supposedly. But now then, he's coming out of the closet to let you know that God made him like this and he wants you to know that God loves him and he's a homosexual. But he, he likes what he is. And he said, God made me like this, so I know I'm okay. I'm going to tell you, God didn't make him like that. That's a demon from hell. And when he said there's not one place in the Bible that says anything about homosexuals or whatever, I thought, this kid ain't read the same book I've read. His eyes had been blinded. I mean, he hadn't read the first and second chapter of the book of Romans. He didn't read the Old Testament. The Old Testament said, if a man lies with a man as with a woman, it's an abomination to God. I mean, you, so he didn't call them homosexuals because when I was a 10-year-old kid, I didn't know what a homosexual was. I'd never heard that word. Somebody said, that person's gay. I thought, man, they're, just, they're, they're, they're gay. We're having a, you know, they're gay around, fun to be around. I mean, that's what gay people was to me. You know, we're having a gay time, you know, glory. You know, that's what gay was. I didn't have any clue what the, these terms they used. But God put it in His Word. When I was a 10-year-old kid, if you just said, that man lay with a man as with a woman, when I was 10, I knew what that meant. I knew what that meant. I knew that was wrong. You know, you would be amazed what your 10-year-old kids understand. I mean, I was raised on the farm. 
You know, I knew what sex was all about because I saw animals doing it all the time. You know, I mean, I lived out there, and that's normal. It's a way of life. But Mom and Dad told me I ain't supposed to do those kind of things till I get married. And I thought, wonder why? You know, wonder why? You know, so you don't understand, but, you know, they say it, so you're not supposed to. And so, but a lot of people are not told. And today, they do what's wrong, and they have no fear of God. And by having no fear of God, that's why so many people that are in the church are sick and afflicted and dying early. You know, whenever somebody tells you, i got this 28-year-old young woman or 32-year-old young man or whatever, and they're dying with cancer or whatever it is, when Jesus said in His Word, no curse comes upon you undeserved. You have been grossly involved in some kind of sin, and you can hide it from me, but you can't hide it from the king. You know? Or you go out and you sleep around, and you, or maybe while your wife is pregnant, you go out and sleep around with another girl or two, and then that child's born with cerebral palsy or autism, and you wonder, God, why me? I can tell you, there was a sin in your life somewhere that caused this problem. Because God promises in His Word. And He knows your heart. I don't know your heart. But I know what this book says. I have read this book. And I know, He says, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do in this book, I will bless you and your children. Now, that's I like that, don't you? Now, see, God knows what sin is. I don't in your life. I know what sin is. But I'm not fully persuaded that I understand everything that's sin. Because they're sure, I'm sure there's things that I do that God doesn't like. You know, even in, I try to do the best I can all the time. But I'm sure there's things I probably do when He would just like to reach down and slap me twice and say, What are you doing that for? You know, really. I'm sure there's times He must feel like that about me. You know, but in His infinite mercy and grace, He hasn't swatted me out yet. Thank you, Jesus. You know, now there have been a few times he said he should have slotted me out, but I knew it. We and you both know where I'm talking about there, don't we? You know, we have been we have been sinners in the past. We have met the criteria of this group of people we just talked about. How many of these people were righteous? How many of them sought after God? Is that us? Sure, that's us. So if somebody hadn't have prayed for you. Somebody hadn't went to the throne of grace, a mother, a daddy, a grandmother. And, you know, unfortunately, I think too much of the time it's mothers that do this praying for the children and not the fathers. I'm going to tell you, it's the daddies of these kids. If they would humble themselves and come before God, I'm going to tell you their prayers are much more effective and much more powerful than mothers. Because God had put the man in charge of the family. The man's the one that be, ought, ought to be the one praying for his children. Just like this morning, I get up and I'm uh, walking outside and looking around early this morning and I see my son, his house, over at his house, his car and everything's still there. And I thought, well, normally they're going to church by this time. I wonder why they're not gone. So I walked over there. Of course, when I walked in the house, you know, I thought about these little children back here a while ago. I saw how lovely they are, come up and hug me around the leg and all this stuff and uh, I think a while ago when I went to, to my son's house, 
my little grandson, he saw Granddaddy walk in. He yelled, Granddaddy! And he started to run toward me. And when he did, his little sister, which is about a year and a half younger than him, she reaches up and gets one of the long tubes off the vacuum cleaner and uses it like a bat and just, bam! You don't have to teach them how to be mean. They know how to be mean. You know that? Some of y'all raised some kids, right? You don't have to teach kids how to be mean. They know how to be mean. they got the devil in them. There's a little bitty tiny girl this tall, my little granddaughter, reaches right over and gets a piece off the vacuum cleaner and uses it as a bat and hits her little brother right in the head as he goes by. Bam! So he stops and cries a minute. So I loved him and I loved her and everything else. And I, I spent a few minutes there and all of a sudden my son comes out and I said, what's wrong with you? You don't look real good this morning. He said, oh, Dad, I guess I've been spending too many hours working. He said, you know, we're trying to set up that new gym up there in Denton. And he said, I've just been burning the candle at both ends. And he said, I got a fever this morning or something. So I reached over and laid my hand on him. He was hot as he could be. I reached over and laid my hand on him. I said, you devil of hell, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that, that fever. You've got to come out of him in the name of Jesus. Did Jesus do that to Peter's mother? Yes, he did. What did that devil do? He left. I said, you're going to be fine. No problem. I sat down and talked to him 30 minutes, loved him a few minutes. I said, now I've got to go back and study and continue to prepare for today. And I got to put my hand on him. He's just cool as he could be. Hey. How much power do we have over the devil? Hey. That's what I'm saying. If we get to where we believe this book, he won't never miss a chance to rebuke a devil and to tell somebody about Jesus. And you won't be one of these. You know, you pass this point. We used to be one of these. Every one of us used to be one of these people. But we're not anymore. We're going to see who we are. Now then, none that fear God. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it says to them who are under the law. Now then, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now then, what do we make laws for in America? Who do we make them for? A lawbreaker. I mean, you know, if you don't break the law, I mean, I can get out there in my car. I mean, I got out there in a car a while ago and I drove down here and I set the cruise control on 65 when it was 65. Then when I came to another area where it was 60, I set it on 60. And Cheryl was right in front of me in her car, and she was doing the same thing. When we come to an area where it dropped down to 55, I mean, she dropped down to 55. Did we have to be concerned about the law? No. We are obeying the law. We're driving 55 or 60 or 65. I had no problem whatsoever. The law was not made for the righteous, but it's made for the lawbreaker. And the Scriptures tells us that. Now then, let's go on down a little further. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So now then, how do we know what God doesn't like? Because of the law. He te- how do we know? How do we know? How- In other words, when I went to Europe, the first time I went to Europe, we pulled out on a road out there, a big, beautiful highway called the Autobahn. And I'm driving along there, and I'm looking for a speed limit sign. And I don't see any. 
And all of a sudden here, I get up to about 60. I thought, well, I don't want to drive too fast because I don't know what the law is over here. I'm a newcomer in this country, and I'm driving 60, and all of a sudden, the Mercedes goes by me about 120. I thought, boy, I hope the police is somewhere to catch that guy. He sure is feeding. And so I drove 100 miles down that Autobahn. I never saw a sign. And so finally, I stopped in a place to get gas, and I, I asked the guy, I said, What's the speed limit on the road out here? He said, there's no speed limit. That's the Autobahn. I said, well, I don't know what an Autobahn is. You know, I mean, I'm just brand new over here. But I said, so you mean you can drive as fast as you want to? Oh, he said, on the Autobahn you can. Once you get up on the Autobahn, there's no speed limit. Let me tell you, it's still like that. We just came back from there last year. This is... 35 years ago, 40 years ago when I was over there, but we just came back from there last year and the Autobahn's still the same way. There is no speed limit. You can drive as fast as you want to, but now let me tell you, when they put everybody out there together, and some of them's driving 60, some of them's driving 90, and some of them driving 150, when they have an accident over there, it is a nightmare. I mean, there is death and destruction, and it is something... Some guy's driving 120, and some guy's driving 60, and the guy driving 90 starts to pull out the pass the guy, and they're going 120, hits him right in the back end, and all three of them go rolling down through the road, and I mean, it is a real, real wreck. I, I thought one day the Germans would wise up, but they never have. You know, when I was flying years ago, some of the crews that I flew for a German airline called Atlantis, most of the people that worked over there were Germans. I just happened to be one of the Americans that got to fly for them for a couple of years until they went bankrupt. When we would come over to America, the guy said, you know, I feel so comfortable. The speed limit says 70. Everybody's driving the same speed. You don't have to worry about nothing. Just drive 70. You know, and there's no accidents, hardly nothing. Everybody's going the same speed. He said, man, you feel so comfortable. And I thought, you know, it looks like they'd finally get a hold of this. You know, maybe make it 80 or something, but not have it unlimited. Well, there's no law. When there is no law, what do people do? Anything they want to do. Anything they want to do. And so, can you imagine what it would be like today if they were to say, okay, in the Dallas-Fort Metroplex, no laws. We're going to do away with the police department. No laws tomorrow, Benjamin. You know, anybody can do anything they want to do. I'm staying home tomorrow. I am not going to be on the freeway. I'm telling you, it's bad enough. In fact, a while ago when Cheryl and I was coming along over, over yonder on the highway, we were on uh, 114. I was driving exactly 55, which is what the speed limit was. She was right in front of me driving 55. And there I heard this, and I looked, and there was a young man on a motorcycle. He went from the guy behind, around me, around, around Cheryl. I mean, he's cutting in and out of every traffic. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, please, Lord, watch over that boy. Send an angel. I said, there is a young kid as dumb and stupid as I was just a few years ago. I did the same dumb things. I mean, you know, I was immortal when I was 20 years old. I mean, you couldn't have killed me. There ain't, I mean, I could have fell on that motor. I thought. You know, you, know, you think. Some of you all have been 20 years old. And some of you are not there yet. So some of you that are not there yet, you know, you need to realize this piece of flesh can be tore all to pieces in a heartbeat. You can be scattered all over the highway. It doesn't take much to destroy this flesh that God made. It's a pretty tough piece of machinery, but it can be destroyed. 
And we forget that when we're young. And that's why these hospitals down here are full of them, especially when they get out to drinking and drugging and everything else and start riding their motorcycle. You go to Parkland on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and you will be amazed what comes through the doors of that hospital. Anybody ever been to Parkland and saw what sees what happened, what comes in there? I mean, it's awful, isn't it? It's awful. In fact, I had a motorcycle wreck in 1958 here in the Dallas area, and I was only going 35 miles an hour, but I went around a corner that had been graveled, and thing slipped out from under me and hurt me pretty bad. And I mean, tore up my head and tore up my face and tore skin. I mean, I slid down the sidewalk on my side, hit me, eat all the skin off, tore my clothes off me, tore my shoes off me. You know, didn't break no bones, but I sure did lose a lot of skin and a lot of meat. Well, I mean, you know, I, at first when I got up, I was numb, you know, because I didn't feel like I was hurt. And I went over to turn off my bike, and the police officer, so he said, you know, he said, lay down. And I said, I'm okay. He said, no, you're not okay. He said, well, I called an ambulance. And I said, no, I'm fine. And I thought, well, sweat running in my eyes, you know, and I, I said, reset done like this, but <laughs> solid blood. I looked down, ain't got no clothes on hardly, and blood running. I, I said, maybe I better lay down. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not in as good a shape as I thought. But I was numb. You know, I mean, that's what happens in an accident. And they took me to Parkland. And I sat in Parkland, tore up that bed for four hours before they could get to me. I saw people come through there. The one guy I saw that they brought in. I mean, think about what sin does when there's none righteous, all are evil and wicked. This guy had been a, a, a man that worked in a liquor store, and somebody came in to rob the liquor store, and they had cut him with a razor. And the guy had just started over on this side of his face and went, quick, 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 quick. and his whole face was just gapped all open, and his chest was gapped open, blood was pouring out of him everywhere. When they took him in, I said, I'm not, I'm not in a big hurry. I said, go ahead and take him in. I said, this guy needs help. But these people see this kind of stuff all the time. You know, I don't live there. But because there's none righteous, there's none seeking God, there is people that's undergoing those kind of things right here in the Metroplex every day. And those of us that are righteous, that are serving God, that are loving Him, being obedient. We don't see those things, so we don't even know that's going on. But let me tell you, it's going on. If you don't think sin has a tremendous impact, and there's not anybody seeking God, you go either to Cook's Medical Center, or you go down here to Dallas Children's, and you walk through that place. You walk through there and look at the little children, handicapped, no legs, no arms, limbs twisted back, and you think, why are these kids like this? What's made them like that? Somebody said, well, God made them like that. Give me a break. Now, the God of this world made them like that because He has legal right to them because of sin of their parents. Our children don't have to be like that. You know, they can be normal. But you've got to walk in obedience to God's Word. Then he says, in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now then, by doing the works of the law, can you be right in God's sight? By doing the works of the law, can 
you be right or justified in the sight of God by works. No, you cannot. So if it's impossible, then how do we receive it? What did that verse say? Even, in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. You, when you receive Jesus Christ by faith in His Word, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. When He looks at you, He sees a precious, clean, holy, righteous young lady because of what His Son did. Aren't we grateful? We are so grateful. But you have to receive that by faith. And what does it mean to receive it by faith? It's by trusting in what is written. You have to believe what is written with no doubt in your heart. And that has got to be the most difficult thing the church has ever done is try to walk by faith. Oh, yeah, we said we got faith. Yeah, I got faith. No, you don't. You'd ask me a few years ago, do you have faith? I'd have said, I have great faith. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't have a clue what it meant to walk in faith. You either, right, Sharon? No. I mean, Sharon's laughing there. I mean, as I, I think about her, you know, just a little while back since she's learned this faith, her mother and everything said, she's rubbing off on me now. Praise God. And I'm glad. I'm glad Mama's rubbing off on I mean, the daughter's rubbing off on Mama. I'm grateful. But she's getting that little bit of that faith. But just think. Now, here is a perfect example of real faith. The other day when Sharon gave that testimony, she said she went out, had her teeth cleaned. Nothing wrong getting your teeth cleaned. Went out, got her teeth cleaned, and her dentist to x-rayed her teeth. She had two teeth that needed uh, root canals and crowns. And they said, when do you want to make the appointment to have that done? She said, that devil's got all my money he's ever going to get. She said, I've learned how to walk by faith. She said, I'm going to go to my church. I'm going to have my pastor agree with me based around Matthew 18, 19, and I ain't going to need those root canals. Now, everybody thinks she's a little bit on the squirrely side, you know. So Sharon comes to church and tells me the story. and said, well, you pray for me and agree with me according to Matthew 18, 19 that these root canals, I don't need them, and my teeth are solid. I said, sure. So I pray for her. I said, it's done. She said, that's it. Praise God, it's done. Never even thought about it again. Never even thought. Just praise God. It's for a good, solid teeth. So a few months later, six or eight, whatever it was, she goes back over there and have her teeth cleaned again. When she gets there, they clean her teeth. And the doctor, dentist, whatever, he says, uh, or she, whatever it is, says, uh, uh, Sharon, uh, when you won't have those root canals and uh, crowns done? She said, I don't have to have them. I've been prayed for. Oh, well, no, let's check them. No, no, no. Let's x-ray him again. No, no, no. I ain't paying. I, you know, I, that devil's got all my money he's going to get. No, I ain't going there no more. The, the doctor said, well, I'll pay for the x-rays, but I want to see what your teeth look like. She said, well, okay. So they x-rayed her teeth, and guess what? Didn't need no root canals or no crowns. Now, see, that woman right there has learned how to walk in faith. See, that what she did, she took the Word of God when it says that even the righteousness of God, in verse 20, which is by faith, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith or our trust in these promises. I think about Keith here a while back. He told me a story about 
how he'd uh, come down with an eye problem, and he prayed, and it didn't seem like nothing happened, so he had to uh, catch another ride home and everything, and he got home that night, and he said, I just got before God. He said, God, it is written. This is your body. It's not mine. I know you're big enough to take care of it. I'm going to bed at night. When I wake up tomorrow, there ain't going to be wrong my eye. Well, that basically what you did, Keith? And when he woke up the next morning, guess what was wrong with his eye? Nothing. He believed the Word. Instead of saying, well, I'm sure the old devil was patting him on the shoulder saying, oh, Keith, you're not going to be able to fly without them eyes. You're a pilot. You better go down right now and let the doctor see you quick. Those thoughts come to your mind, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The devil will make it nearly impossible for you to walk in faith because he knows the flesh. Remember what he told the Lord. Well, yeah, Job ought to be a good guy. You've left him and you've kept a fence around him where I can't get to him. But you let me put some hurt on his flesh. And I'll show you he'll curse you to your face because any man will give anything for his flesh. The devil knows that. So when he attacks your flesh, I mean, he'll be telling you things, Oh, Sharon, you old fool, you, you know that even God wouldn't fix teeth. Sure. Yeah. Or Keith, you know, you know God wouldn't heal your eye. But he did, didn't he? He sure did. The thing about it is, when you get a hold of faith, the true faith it doesn't make any difference what the devil throws at you. You just make sure you got every sin repented of and then take the Word of God and stand on and say, it's done. You do it just like Keith did it, just like Sharon did it. Many of the rest of you have stories like this. But when you start standing on the Word and the pain or the suffering gets worse, after about a week of that or a month of that, you get to thinking, I must have missed it. No, you didn't miss it. Think about Dave Rosenfeld. A year come and went. And Dave, I'll never forget that day when Dave walked up here. All he could put on was a pair of loose britches and a loose shirt and no shoes or nothing. And he walked up like this, like a zombie. He said, Thurman, it doesn't appear to be working. No, that's right. It didn't appear to be working because he had suffered with his problem for a year. You saw him during all that time, didn't you, Keith? Didn't you ever see him? You didn't ever notice it? How many of you in here saw him while he was suffering? As many of you did. I mean, he suffered. But that day I told him, I said, repent. I said, you take the Word of God and you personalize it and you take these promises of God and you walk by faith in them and I guarantee they'll heal your body. Well, now then, praise God. You know, he's learned how to walk by faith. You know, his dad, he tried to teach these things to his dad. His dad didn't quite make it. He died. But his mother, stepmother, I mean, she hadn't locked on to it at all. And they're out there right now because his stepmother just had a stroke. But she don't have a clue what faith is. Well, yeah, she goes to church some, you know, and maybe a whole lot. But how many people do I know, like I was, that was in church every time the door was open? I didn't have a clue what faith was. I didn't have a clue. I would read these verses. 
But they didn't become a revelation to me. I didn't understand what God meant when He said, by faith. But He says, even the righteousness of God, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God. When you learn that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, when you accepted by faith Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became just as right before God as Jesus Himself. And you've got to see yourself like that. If you don't see yourself like that, you will never be able to walk in power with God. You've got to see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. You have to see yourself that way. You know, it takes time in the Word. I mean, the devil, he so will steal these things from you. But you've got to get in here and you've got to believe it. Then he says, being justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ. Being justified. You know what the word justified literally means? It means as you have been made just as if you had never sinned. Now, this line of people over here as it was written, that was us. When we come to Jesus and accepted Him as Lord and Savior, we were taken out of that list and made just as if we had never sinned a day in our life. You were perfect and clean and pure and holy. Now, how many of us don't see ourselves like that? Virtually nobody. Nobody. We see ourselves as wicked sinners. Not the righteousness of God in Christ. So, when we see ourselves as wicked sinners, guess what we go live like? Wicked sinners. Sure. Yeah. But when you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ, a child of the King, you begin to walk holy in obedience to His Word. You begin to treat people different. You begin to watch the words that comes out of your mouth. You don't use that profanity junk no more. You know, you walk in love. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. I know. Been there and done it. Missed it many times. But I'm still on that road. Every time I fall off the wagon... I get up and dust myself off and say, Jesus, you're going to have to forgive me. We're going to start again. We're going down this trail again. Praise the King. He'll do it. Then it says, in verse 23, I didn't read that. It says, but for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of us missed it? All of us. Every one of us. But now being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith. There's that word faith again. In His blood. We've got to have faith that His blood has done this for you and me. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Then he says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. You and I can't boast about anything. I mean, nothing. I don't care what God's given you. I don't care what a gift, kind of gift, talents, or anything else. You cannot boast about nothing because without God, you couldn't take a breath. You can't take a breath. 
You know how easy it is somebody says something about you just done something real good? You know, you know how easy it is to say, wow, wow, man, perk up and say, wow, I'm good, aren't I? Is it easy to do that? Sure, it's easy to receive praise. You know, when you build a new house, and I walk up and I say, man, that's the most beautiful house I ever saw in my life. Well, the, guy, the builder always come up and says, that's one of mine. And if I woke up and say, you know, I mean, that's not too good. I don't like the levels. I don't think that's quite plumb there. The brick's a little crooked right here. That door doesn't swing like it's supposed to. I wonder who the builder was of this lousy house. Now, he probably ain't going to say nothing, is he? But when there's glory handed out, I mean, I, I can thank you too whenever I was dealing with my men. We might have four or five men working on something, and I'd walk up and only one was working on it, and I didn't know that several had. And I'd say, you know, this is great. You've done a great job on this. And two or three other guys that worked, they said, well, we had a hand in that too, Mister. You know, we worked on that too. He didn't do it all by himself. Everybody wants the glory. Everybody wants the glory. But we can't take it. Because what we have been given, we've been given it by God. So, where's boasting? It's excluded. You know, all you can boast in is Jesus. Because without Him, you and me can't do nothing. Then it says, where is boasting? It is excluded. By what law? The law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. You know, I bet I read this book for 20 years before I knew there was a law of faith. Everything in God's Word is spiritual law. This book is a law book. It is the best law book in the world. And it is the law of faith. When we walk in this new covenant that we have today, we're walking under the new covenant of the law of faith. And did you know that Jesus went so far as to say, without faith it is impossible to please me. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. You say, well, I'm going to keep the law. I'm not going to lie, not going to steal, not going to cheat, not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to do none of those things, so I know I'll make Jesus happy. No, that won't make Him happy. He wants you to walk in love and walk in faith. That's what makes Him happy. He wants you to walk in faith. The law of faith that He put down here, He wants you to see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. So you will walk in obedience to His Word. He goes on down. He says, Therefore, we continue, conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. When you come to Christ, when you accept Him as Lord and Savior, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is He the God of the Jews only? Is He not also of the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So the same Jesus that we serve is the same one the Jews serve. Now then, let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. Let's turn over a little ways here to Romans 6, 1. And then let's see what Romans 6, 1 says. What shall we say then? 
In other words, if we're not under the law, if we're justified by faith, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Now see, a lot of people think this is okay today. A lot of people think you can live in sin and be okay. Well, let me tell you, you can't. And it took me almost a lifetime to dig these things out before they finally made sense to me. But I used to never understand why somebody something happened to somebody and some, it didn't happen to this one, why this family don't have any sickness and disease or, or this family's blessed financially or this one's not or this one's sick all the time, this one's not sick all the time, why this family has handicapped children, this family does not. I didn't understand all that, but I do now. I've got it now. I've got it. And I read it, I read it, I understand it, and I know, I know, I know how God works spiritually. I'm understanding His Word. I'm seeing that He means exactly what He says in His Word. And He will do exactly what He says in His Word. He will bless you or He will curse you. But after we see this grace and how we're justified... What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that seems to be a lot of people in the church that think you can live like that. I mean, you know, God's gracious. He's a loving God. You ever heard anybody say, God's a loving God. He would never send me to hell. You ever heard that? Oh, God is, He's all love. God is so love. You know, this is the, you know, so we're out here and we're having the hippie, uh, revolution a few years ago, open sex, open everything, you know, everybody's doing everything. And it's a love reunion. You know, God is love. He's, everything's free with God so we can just go do what we want to and live what we want to. wonder how many of those kids died with sickness and disease, venereal disease, and wonder how many of them's in hell today wondering what happened. Probably a bunch of them. A bunch of them. God means what He says. You know that? Well, he says after verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at the answer. God forbid. God forbid. We are absolutely not to sin under no conditions. Listen to what he says. Here's the way God sees you in this next line. I want you to look at what he said. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How does God see you as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian? He sees you dead. He sees you dead. That's what the Scripture says. How shall we that are dead to sin live therein any longer? So if we're dead to sin, how do we sin? Well, I'll tell you what, we don't do a very good job staying dead. When the Lord says we shall raise the dead, I'm telling you, we raise the dead far too often. You ever, ever think about it like that? Somebody said, I'd like to see the dead raised just one time. I'm telling you what, you've probably been raised from the dead several times yourself. You know, all you got to do is supposedly die, and then, of course, it would never, could ever possibly be that a man and a woman living in the same house could get into a disagreement, and one could just read the other one the riot act. I know that never happened in nobody's home ever. When that happened, 
One of you or both of you were resurrected from the dead and you got back in the flesh and you were tearing at each other. You don't stay dead very well. All I got to say is some of you that I baptized, I should have held you down another five minutes. And then we wouldn't have this problem, would we, Keith? If I just held you down another five minutes, hey, there wouldn't have been no problem. You would have definitely been dead, all right. But somebody should have probably helped me down too. You know, didn't hold me down long enough either. We resurrect ourselves from the dead and we're not supposed to do this. We are supposed to stay dead. When sin, something comes up and somebody attacks you and you want to just reach out and grab them by the neck, before you reach out and grab them by the neck, think, I'm dead. How can a dead man do this? Grasp the way Jesus sees you. Lord, I'm dead. So I don't care what they say to me. I'm not going there no more. Do you think it's possible we can do this? Jesus said we can. Does He going to take some effort on mine and your part to do it? Oh, is it ever. I mean, this battle that's going on between the flesh and the Spirit, it's a real battle. And one of them is going to win every time. And you know who's going to win? The one you feed the most. The one you feed the most. If you feed your spirit the Word of God and turn off all the secular medias of every kind, you may be able to overcome this and stay dead. But all you got to do is just turn on one afternoon of secular television and then you can lose it. You can lose it in a heartbeat. I mean, all you got to do today is turn on a secular cartoon. And the cartoons are all about occultic things. I sat in the home here a while back and watched a few minutes of a cartoon. I thought, man, if they don't see the devil in that, there's something wrong with this family. He's in there. And do you know we in the church are raising our children upon those things? In fact, I was amazed the other night, little John David. They live out the ministry center. We don't have no televisions. We don't have one. We went somewhere to a restaurant to eat, and they had a television. And he looked up, and he's glued to this television. I'm hearing him, what is this, Daddy? What is this? He ain't never seen a television. You know, he is uh, 17, 18 months old, and don't know what television is. Praise God. That's all I can say. Praise the Lord. I, I, you know. In fact, I thought about television last night. Uh, was it night, last night or... No, not before last. It wasn't last night. Because Cheryl come home last night. That's right. Night before last, when I was there at the house by myself, I went in about one thirty or 2 o'clock to go to bed. And I thought, you know, I'll see if GLC, see if GLC's got something on good. And I turned on GLC on my satellite. And there was a gentleman on the, on the uh, program that they have the... Uh, uh, what, do, what do we call the 8 to 10? Uh, it's not praise the Lord. What? Well, it's live in the Southwest, but I forget what they call that. Anyway, uh, 8 to 10 is live. We've been on it. I don't know. Just, is that what it is called? Live in the Southwest? Okay. Anyway, they re-air that at 1 till 3 in the morning again. And so it was about one thirty or 2 when I turned it on. And there was a gentleman on there that Al and Tommy obviously have on every year. And, you know, his goal this year was to give one gift to 250,000 children. I thought, man, he's a little ahead of us. 
He's a little ahead of us. He wants to give the gospel and one gift to 250,000 children, that needy children all over the world this year. That's, that's, I mean, when I think we're doing something for Jesus, then I hear somebody like that. But you know, all of us can't be the same. God's given different men and women different gifts to do different things. Whatever gift He gives you to do whatever with whoever He gives it to, you do the best you can. I mean, Cheryl has changed the lives. And all, many of you have been involved with her. Many of you have come to the house and to the ministry center and helped wrap packages. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus, our King, said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. And some of you women and men that come out to the ministry center and dedicate your time to wrap those hundreds of presents the last few years for those children, you're building your treasures in heaven. God won't forget that. He'll know when you get there. He'll have that recorded, won't He, Shelley? He'll have it recorded. He'll know what you've done. It says in verse 3, Know ye not that as many as us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Once you're baptized and go under that water, when you come up, you're supposed to be a dead person resurrected to life to walk in newness of life, and you are supposed to be a different person when you come out of that water. But unfortunately, I didn't know nothing about the Word of God, so it didn't make much change in me. You know, when I was 11, I got wet. You know, when I come up, how about you, Deborah? Was that kind of what happened to you when you got baptized? Huh? Oh, it helps you under a little longer. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Well, it should have helped me under a whole lot longer. That's all I got to say because I had no idea. I had no idea what was mine. I had no idea what I could do. But then he says after that, For we've been planted together in the likeness of His death. We shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Now, meditate on that a minute. We are supposed to be like the resurrected Jesus. I mean, that's quite, Tom, that's quite a goal, isn't it? I'd like to be like that, wouldn't you? Well, He tells us to be like that. And He's already given us everything we need to get there. All we've got to do is read the Word, learn the Word, and then start acting like Jesus. When you start acting like Jesus, He shows up. When this self dies and you get over it, you know, it's real easy. When someone comes, well, I'll tell you how easy it is to praise people. I think about this precious little daughter of mine that I call her my daughter sitting right there, little Wendy. You know, all y'all know she's really not my daughter, but she's so much like my real daughter I just love her. And, I mean, of course, I love all the girls out there. But Wendy, often, you know, I'll come into my office and there'll be a, a can of nuts or a sack of cashews sitting on my computer deal, you know. I know who done that. I know who done that. She has such a giving heart. See, such a giving heart. But many of the girls out there have different things that to do. In fact, the other night, when I, I told Cheryl, I told Cheryl, I said, about 2 o'clock, I said, honey, I, I, she said, I'm going to bed. I said, okay, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Well, in 10 minutes, I got through and I started to walk out. 
And I had two young girls stop me right outside my door, about 2.10. It was Wendy and Jenny. And I said, Pastor, we got a question. Can we ask you a question before you go to bed? I said, sure. So at 5 a.m. in the morning when I walk in back there, Cheryl said, where have you been? I said, I've been hanging out with two beautiful young women that want to know something about Jesus. Now, see, now see, I can't think of anything in the world I'd rather do from 2 to 5 in the morning is hang out with two beautiful young girls that want to know Jesus better. Can you? Those girls wanted to know Jesus. They wanted to know more about the King. And their questions were all about Jesus. Both of them. And praise God, I think I had most of their answers. But we sat there and talked for three hours from 2.10 till 5 a.m. in the morning. I'll tell you, there, there, is, there is nothing in the world I'd rather do than talk with the young people today about Jesus. You know, because I want those young people to walk holy. I want them to know who they are. I want them to walk in the power God has given them. I don't want that devil to deceive them and cause them to fall. I want them to be the kind of children of God that one day when God, when they get home, the king can say, well done, girls. Y'all done a great job for me down on earth. You didn't let the devil get through to you ever. Unfortunately, all of us have let the devil get through to us. Every one of us. But we don't have to keep it up, do we? We don't have to keep it up. Now it says here, in verse 6, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, which is what we had, might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. So if we die to sin, according to the Word of God, and Jesus sees us as dead, how often should we sin after we become Christians? Never. We should never. Boy, it takes some teaching to get us there, though, doesn't it? It is definitely not a one or two or three week course. It's definitely a long, drawn out ordeal to get to the point where you can wake up every morning and look at that mirror and say, that guy in that mirror is dead. Ain't nothing going to affect you today. I'm not going to let the devil get through to this. He ain't going to hurt me. He's not going to cause me to get angry. I'm not going to get, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to get angry with my wife. You know, I'm not going to get angry with my husband. I don't care what he says. I don't care if he comes in and he might have had a bad day. You don't ever know what your husband's been undergoing today. He may come in and he may, have, he may not be at all upset with you, but he may be stressed out with the things of his job or the world or whatever, and he may come in and he say, Hi, honey, how are you doing? Say, oh, I'm not doing good. Don't talk to me. And immediately she takes an offense. Well, if that's the way you are, then I won't even talk to you. Let me just go in the other room. No, when he does that, you need to go over and put your arms around and look him in the eye and say, Honey, let me tell you how much I love you. And that's the way you need to do it? Sure. Or if your woman is having a bad day and sitting angry with her, you go over and you grab her around the waist and pull her up to you and say, Honey, come here a minute. I ain't got time for you. Oh, yes, you have to. Put your arm and just hold her and love her. Hold her and love her. And now you remember, you're bigger than she is, so she may struggle a little bit. Just hold her gently and love her. Love her. That's what she needs, isn't it? 
Whatever that kind of situation, she needs to be loved. Love her. You know, tell her how much you love her. Be good to her, gentle to her. And ladies, do the same to your husbands. Don't let the devil get into your home. You know, the beast, he loves it. I mean, but remember, we're supposed to be dead. We're not supposed to be alive. We're supposed to be dead to the sinful things. So stay dead. You know, when that devil comes into your house, and also see when the devil comes in and tries to make you sick, oh, you can say, devil, I've got every sin repented of. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Dead people can't be made sick either. Only those that are alive. So I'm dead, so your sickness and disease don't work on this flesh. Now, you can leave and go somewhere else in the name of Jesus. And you can walk in divine health. I mean, you can walk in divine health. We do not have to be sick. We do not have to sin. This book says it right here. We do not have to sin. Now, let's go on and say we're dead to sin. He says in verse 7 there, For he that is dead is free from sin. So are we free from sin according to the Word of God? Sure. We're not supposed to sin, are we? No, not at all. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. I love that, don't you? I love it. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more death, and has no more dominion. So death has no more dominion over him. Death has no more has no dominion over a dead person. So you're already dead. Or in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. If you're dead to sin, if you are dead to sin, how many times are you going to sin? You're not going to sin. When one of your children comes and says something to you, that's not exactly what you wanted to hear. You know, instead of retaliating and being mean and reading the right act, just walk in love. Especially if they're grown. There ain't nothing you can do if they're grown. If you didn't take care of situations when they were little bitty, forget it. It's too late to change them now. You only got one hope now, and that's go to God. Only He can change a child after they get grown. You can mold and shape them when they're coming up. But once they get grown, it's too late. Only God can change them. But live unto God through Jesus Christ. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You'll have to take control of this. This beast, this sin will resurrect you from the dead. It will take control of you and it will drive you to do things that are wrong. I don't care who you are. This is a battle that every one of us fight every day of our life. Walking in faith is the most difficult thing. I mean, I thought I knew what walking in faith was a few years ago and now I know I didn't have a clue what it meant to walk in faith. Didn't have a clue. But when you really read this book at face value, I'm dead to sin. You are dead to sin. We're justified by faith. We're made the righteousness of God in Christ. And we're supposed to let not therefore sin 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. You know any Christians that sins reigning in their bodies? I do. Several of them. And what they do is they don't think it's wrong. Neither yield yourselves members, neither yield ye your members as instrument of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, what you do with your eyes, what should, I mean, should you go home this afternoon and open up your computer and look at some pornography on the Internet this afternoon with your eyes? You know, I was talking to a pastor here a while back, and he's heavily involved in getting pastors set free from pornography. And he told me, I don't know where they get their information, but he said 46% of all the pastors in America look at Internet pornography at least once a week. Well, let me tell you, here's one that don't. I ain't never looked at it. I don't look at it at all. I ain't going to look at it. I ain't going there because I know the weakness of the devil. I mean, if I have, if one of them things happens to come up on my screen, in fact, I'll tell you, I can remember still years ago, years ago, I don't even know how many years ago, but I remember walking in the men's bathroom at one of the places where I worked as an engineer, and there lay a Playboy magazine right there on the counter. Now, when I was a kid, I had looked at the Playboy magazine, and the centerfold folded out, and it was a girl with a bikini bathing suit on. She had a bathing suit on, but it wasn't much. That's one of those I tell you about the silkworm could have woven this on his lunch hour. That's about how much they had on. You know, he didn't. They didn't have much, but they had something. At least they were covered. But that day when I saw that magazine, I thought, I wonder what. This has been probably 20 years after I was a kid when I saw it. 20 or 30 years later. And I thought, I wonder what this has gone to. And I opened the first page of the Playboy Mac, one page. And what I saw was the most wicked stuff on the first page. I mean, there was no holes barred. I immediately closed that magazine. I bet I didn't look at that magazine a half a second. But I immediately closed it back up. I picked up the trash and put it down in the bottom of the trash can, put the trash back on top of it. So nobody else would know it was there. And that afternoon, on the way home, guess what kind of pictures began to pop into my head? Those pictures. And amazing, I can look at a technical manual on a piece of equipment and meditate on a picture of something maybe for four hours and it not be that clear and crisp when I start home. And the devil, he don't, care, he don't care if I look at that technical manual. You know, but when I saw that pornography, he locked that into my mind. I had to ask the Lord to do a video edit out of my brain. You know, girls, that's why every one of you ladies should dress to cover your entire body. I walked into a restaurant the other night. There was a girl sitting there on the counter like this. And when I looked at her, I could see almost completed to her belly button. Her dress was hanging out like this. 
And if she had a bra on, it sure was a little bitty one. I sure did see lots of skin. I looked off. I thought, oh God, help that woman. I said, she probably does not know that men are turned on by what they see. Women are definitely not. Women are turned on by speaking nice things to them. That's what makes a woman feel good. That's what makes a woman want her husband when he's nice to her, gentle to her, speaks nice things to her. That's what makes her body want her husband. But a man is not like that. You can talk to him nice, gentle, do anything you want to. It won't affect him. But if he, a man cannot even be thinking about sex and he walk into the bathroom and his wife just stepped out of the shower and she's totally nude, man, he's thinking about it. Just that quick. See, a man's turned on by what he sees. You guys all know what I'm talking about. You're men. So, if you don't see nothing, it's not so hard to stay turned off. And you women, all the women, in fact, I was watching in a church service here a while back. I was in a church and a pastor stood up there and he said, you know, he was standing up on a pretty high platform up in front. And my hat's off to him that day. I, when he, after he made the statement he did, I looked along the front row. He said, some of you women sitting down here in the front row, I can't concentrate because your dresses are too short. I thought, wow, it takes a bold preacher to say something like that. He said, you women wear some longer dresses. God tells you to dress you're respectfully. And he said, you're not doing it. I thought, whoo. Man, that guy, he's really, he got it right. But that's the way Christian women should dress. They should dress to cover their bodies. Cover their bodies. Now then it says, for sin, in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Are, as Christians, are we under the law? What did he just say? Are we under law? No. So the things that pertain to the law, you're not under them. The law has no hold on you. You are not under the law. You're under grace. In other words, when you're walking in the God kind of love, here's the law down here with the snakes in it. That's where all the demons run, under the law. But when you're walking in grace, you're walking in God's love, and you're walking on a little narrow path that's highly elevated above the law. And when you're walking on that platform, you're not under the law, you're under grace, you're walking in God's kind of love. And I'm going to tell you, from that platform, if you can stay on that platform... No sickness and disease will come to your house. God will be up there with you. You'll have wonderful things in your family. You and your wife will get along great. As long as you walk on that elevated platform of grace, you can walk. If you walk in the God kind of love, you will have the most blessed life that's available. That is the abundant life that Christ come to give the church. That's the life He come to give the church. But I'm going to tell you, as you start down that path, walking that little narrow path, that devil, he will do everything he can to drag you off. He'll fling a door open over here. And who knows what that door may be. I mean, if it's a man, it might be a 
pornography scene or something. He'll flash something over and he'll say, oh, look at this. Don't you need to come over here? He's trying to get you to step off of that path. Or if you're a woman, you know, who knows how he might attack you. But he knows what your weakness is. He knows what. He, he has got a team of beings that are watching over us and he knows exactly what your weakness is. If your weakness is, who knows? Isn't angry at your husband? Angry at your wife? If he knows that, and he knows your past life, he knows your past history, so he knows what you like and what you don't like, and he knows everything about you because he studied you all of his life, all of your life. He studied you. He's got demons that have kept a perfect record of you, and he knows what you like. And let's say that you're a... Uh, a man, or say you're a woman. Say you're a woman. And your husband's out of town a lot. He travels a lot. If he, if your husband is not the loving, kind, compassionate man that you want, as you're walking down this path as a Christian woman, the devil will send a man that's that loving, kind, gentle, soft-spoken man that will pull you off of that path. Oh, he'll just want to take you to dinner one evening. He'll walk up and say, Wow, you sure are a pretty young lady. Goodness, you're so nice. He says all the right things. And then he made just a couple of sentences the first time. And the next time, he'll get a little bit more friendly with you. And then after you get to know him a little bit, he say, you know, where's your husband? Oh, he's out of town. He's been gone for three weeks. Well, surely you would like a little company for dinner. you mind if I sat down and have dinner with you tonight? You know, you're having dinner at a restaurant. It is. I mean, it's public people all over the place, right? No big deal. He's wooing you off of that path. And he'll do it. If you're not careful, first thing you know, there's a divorce in that family. You ever seen one of these happen? Some of you have been there and done it. Some of you have been there and done it two or three or four times. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The devil's good. You know that? You know why he's so good? He's good because we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. When that man comes up to you and you're that woman, first of all, if you're that woman, your husband's out of town, if you're going to go out to eat, you take another woman with you. You don't go out by yourself. You find a good friend. You take a woman with you. Don't go out nowhere where the devil can tempt you by yourself. You don't never do that. If you can't find a friend to go with, you stay at home and eat at home. I mean, I know what the devil does. You know? I know what that beast does. I mean, I think about staying at home is dangerous. I think about that woman that Cheryl and I uh, ministered to. Actually, I ministered to her first down in Louisiana. That woman, her husband, she was totally healthy until he died. And then after he died, a couple of years after that, she started getting weaker and weaker. And finally, within about three or four years, she's in a wheelchair. When I met her and found out she'd been totally healthy all those years, She'd been raised in a Catholic church, so she had very little knowledge of God's Word. 
And when I met her at a little non-denominational church that night after teaching the Word of God, and she's in that wheelchair, I said, how long have you been in a wheelchair? She said, a couple of years. I said, are you married? She said, well, I was for whatever, 40 years or whatever, and then my husband died. I said, well, how long after your husband died before you got in a wheelchair? She said, about two years. And I said, what do you think you're in a wheelchair? She said, well, I'm just, I'm 65, I'm just getting old. I said, oh, no, ma'am, that's not the problem at all. I said, I want to know what kind of sins come into your life. I said, are you seeing a man? Oh, no, no. She said, I don't go out with men. I said, you don't? Not at all? I said, you don't have any kind of contact with no men? She said, well, I won. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, you know, the meter reader. I mean, it's a true story. She sat at home on the porch with nothing to do. And once a month, the meter reader comes by. So, you know, she wants to be friendly, so she invites a guy in for tea. And he comes in and drinks a cup of tea with her, or a glass of tea or whatever. And then within about three or four months of that, they get really friendly. And then they wind up in bed together. Only have sex once a month. But within a year and a half of that, she's in a wheelchair. She had no idea that that sin, when God says, if you yield your instruments as instruments of unrighteousness, it will bring forth death. I say, we don't believe that. She certainly didn't. And I told that woman that night, I said, ma'am, if you will repent and tell God you're sorry, and you make Him a promise, you'll never do that again. I'll guarantee you, I'll pray for you, and the King of the universe will heal you. And that night, that woman got out of that wheelchair and walked off, and a year later, when I went back down there, that woman's still totally healthy. And she's walking. But hey, when we get a hold of the fact that sin, when it says in this book that we're not under law, but we're under grace, to walk in that grace, we think we can do anything we want to do and walk in God's grace. But every time that devil woos you off of that path, somehow, some way, slowly but surely, every time, let's just say that you get angry at your children. Or say you get angry at your husband. Or you just get angry at the guy down the block. Did God tell you not to go to bed angry unless you give place to the devil? He sure did. So every time you get angry at somebody and blow up, you're opening the doors to the devil and he's slowly tacking away at your life and he's shortening your life. And it will bring sickness and disease to your health and it will slowly kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've come to accustomed to the point that walking in divine health is absolutely the place I want to walk. You know, I mean, I minister to sick people all the time, every day. And I don't like what I see, these people, the ones that come to the ministry center and everything else that are sick and afflicted and dying with all kinds of diseases. I don't want to live there. Living on this side, a whole lot more fun over here, isn't it, Ty? Walking in divine health is a whole lot more fun. I mean, when your eye got healed, it's a whole lot more fun to go to work with a good eye than it was to have that bad one, wasn't it, Keith? Absolutely. Every one of us, every one of us wants to walk in divine health. It's great, but it's available. But you have to do it God's way. And that is you've got to get rid of every sin, and then you've got to learn that you are not under the law, you're under grace, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace again? He says, just like he said at the beginning, God forbid that we should ever sin.
Now, if we don't sin, if we stay dead to sin, and we walk in the God kind of love, you know what you can do under this new covenant? What, what, what kind of limitations do you have, Keith? None. That's exactly right. He's got it right. Jesus said, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, in numbers, if you walk in love, you walk in my grace, and you don't sin, you can come and ask me for anything and I will do it for you. Now, is that a good place to live? Is that where you want to live, Tom? That's where I want to live, too. Because you never know when the devil's going to show up at your house and something devastating is going to take place. And you may need God in a big way. Now, the only way He's going to show up for you is if you have renewed your mind daily with the Word of God, learned who you are, because right now, we are no longer, just a little bit further down, which I didn't get to today. I planned to until I looked at the clock. He says, we are no longer slaves or servants. When you step into the world of faith, you become children. You know, there's a huge difference of being a child and a slave. Would you do things for your children that you wouldn't do for a slave? I guarantee I would. And you and I have reached a point and have become children of the Most High God. So if we walk in obedience to His Word as His children, then He said, you can come and ask me for anything and I will do it for you. There's been times in my life when I needed that kind of an answer. Yours too, right, Sharon? Sure. You had one just a few years ago. And many of you in here have had that kind of an answer. You've had that kind of a need. But remember, walk holy before God. Die to sin. Stay dead. Don't resurrect the beast. You know, when you walk out here, some of you will get an opportunity to be resurrected from the dead before you get home today. <laughs> You all know that, don't you? I mean, some of you may be driving down the road and some guy cuts you off or something or nearly hits your front fender, and some of you may lose your cool before you get home. And then your wife says, Honey, don't you remember what the preacher said? Be quiet. I've got it under control. <laughs> yeah, sure you do. <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> You're letting your flesh drive you. Well, get over it. Don't let the flesh drive you. Let the Spirit drive you. And when the Spirit drives you, you won't go there. Right, brother? If the Spirit of God drives you, somebody tries to cut you off, even if they hit you, no big deal. That's just like me last night. I'm driving down the road coming home. I left out at the restaurant, and I'm coming home, and I get right to 1171, and it's double lane with a split median in the middle with a left turn lane to pull in. And I start to turn in the left turn lane, and there's a guy with his headlights on coming down the left turn lane this way. I thought, wow! So I went back over into the right lane and pulled up beside him. And I said, sir, I said, you know you're going the wrong way on a one-way? He says, you mean this is a one-way? I said, on this side, it's this way, and right over that up, it's that way. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So I pulled on up, and he pulled around behind me, and I saw him make the loop to get on the other side. Now then, you know, that's a good place to lose your cool. You know, you could lose it real easy if you wanted to, 
But if you walk in love, you're not going to lose your cool. Then you know, you know what I felt when I pulled in and I saw him right in front of me and the headlights on right there. All of a sudden, in one heartbeat, my blood pressure rose. I could feel it. And my first thought was, what's that idiot doing in my lane? I mean, none of y'all ever done this before, I know, besides, I'm the only one that ever sins, I know. But I didn't go there. I, I pulled up the side even. I was nice to him, you know. You know, I was nice to him because I had to immediately take dominion over the flesh. And I had to say, Lord, let the Spirit rule me. You know, because, you know, you can let the, you can let the flesh get a hold of you right there. You know, my first thought was, a stupid guy's drunk, and he's on my side anyway. I'll take guys like that all the time. It's amazing all the thoughts that come into your mind. Guess where those come from? The devil, of course. He's trying to resurrect you from the dead. In fact, this lady, I'll tell you this one story, never going to quit. There was a lady, I met her husband, I tried to talk to him about Jesus. He was a contractor. Oh, Thurman, you know, you're one of them holy roller guys. He said, you know, I, I, yeah, my wife goes to church, but I ain't got time. I said, you know, the devil's really deceived you. What do you mean the devil's deceived me? I said, he really has. I said, you have no idea what's available by being a Christian. You say you're a Christian, you don't even go to church, so you, the devil has totally deceived you. Ah, Thurman, you know what you're talking about. Well, I couldn't get through to him. So one day... I had a job. He's supposed to do a job for me out there at Skyship when I was an engineer for Skyship. And uh, he called me one evening. He said, Thurman, I ain't going to be able to come paint that stuff for you tomorrow. He said, I'm laying here with my knee swelled up twice its size. He said, I twisted my leg today, and I'm just dying. It's hurting so bad. He said, the only way I can get my bridges on, my wife had to split it all the way down to the end. And he said, it's just hurting something terrible. And I said, well, can I pray for you? He said, I was hoping you would ask. But he wasn't going to ask me. So I used one of those scriptures where the Lord says, I only need faith. I didn't use Matthew 18, 19 with him, I guarantee. But I used one of those. And so I prayed to prayer of faith for him. I said, now, Lord, I want to ask you to heal that knee. You promised me you would do it. So I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to heal that knee. And I want to thank you for doing it. I said, now, Larry... I'll see you in the morning. Come in and do that job because I guarantee you're healed. The king of the universe is going to heal you. Now, see, that's faith. What is God like? Faith. Somebody said, well, I don't know if I could do that. Well, if you can't do it like this, you won't get to see God do very many things. But I did it like that. And the next morning, about 7.30, that man walked into my office and he walked in, opened the door, shaking his legs, saying, I ain't never seen nothing like this ever in my life. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, last night you prayed that prayer for me, and immediately my knee went to tingling. And in the next five minutes, I watched my knee become totally, completely perfect right before my eyes. What kind of God do we serve? Now then, if Jesus has no respect to a person, if I'd done that in faith, what will He do for you? Same exact thing. Well, that changed that man's life. He did that job for me that day. And after that, he said, well, let's go to lunch today. I want to talk about this Jesus. Hey, I mean, when they see the glory of God, when you can produce a demonstration of the Spirit's power, all of a sudden God becomes a whole lot more real to people. And so we went to lunch here. We talked about it and everything. And he started changing and then going back to church and with his wife. And he never went to church with his wife. 
And for several Sundays, he goes to church with her, and then the old devil gets in there and says, you know, you're just spending too much time in church. You need to be out. And so he started working on Sunday again. And on. And then one day, I had him a few weeks later. He got out of church for several weeks, and I needed him to do something else. And I called him, and he said, Thurman, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got something seriously wrong with me. I said, what is it? He said, I ain't telling you. I ain't telling you. I said, no, 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 no. I've got to know what it is. I don't know how to pray. He said, Thurman, I can't tell you. I said, where are you? And he told me, I said, I'll be over there in 15 minutes. I went and got in my truck and I drove over there. He said, no, 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 don't come. I said, I'm coming, coming. I got over there. I said, then I walked there and grabbed him by the shoulders. I said, what is wrong with you? I said, okay. He said, I've had my hemorrhoids lance three times in the last week and a half. And he said, I can't do it no more. They're going to have to do surgery on me. He said, it's killing me. I said, you ain't been going to church lately, have you? No, he says, unfortunately, I went a while and then I quit. I said, see, this is what happens when you don't obey God. I said, will you repent tell him you'll go to church? He said, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'll go to church. I said, okay. I reached up and grabbed him real forcefully. I said, you demon of hell, leave him. I said, now, Lord, heal him in Jesus' name. I said, now then, I guarantee you're healed. He said, my gosh, the pain just left. The pain just left. God healed him that quick. And that guy, I mean, he, it totally changed his life. In fact, it was three years later before I met his wife. Finally, one day I met his wife. And when I did, she said, oh, you're Thurman Scribner. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, oh, I'm going to tell you. She said, can I hug you? And I said, well, ma'am, I, what, what did I do to deserve this? She said, you have no idea what you've done to deserve but she said, I'm going to put my arms around you, and I'm going to hug you and tell you how much I love you. I said, wow, what happened? She said, my husband, he would never go to church with me. He would never talk about Jesus with me. He would never talk to our son about Jesus. But said, after you prayed for him and his knee got healed, she said, I was sitting there that night and watched his leg get healed. She said, then he come home after you prayed for him and the hemorrhoids was healed. And he never had no more trouble with them. And she said, I used to take my life in my own hands when I rode with him. Because said, when we went somewhere, if somebody cut him off, she said, he'd drive 90 miles an hour to run him down. And I mean, said, he was dangerous. But she said, after you led him to Jesus and got him healed... It didn't make any difference what anybody did. We could be driving down the road, somebody just cut him off. He said, may the Lord bless you. She said, it made my life a life of peace. She said, you have no idea how much I love you. See, you have no idea what kind of impact you're having on people when you walk in obedience to God's Word. But that lady, she loved me because of what I did for her husband. You know, she didn't have the wrong kind of love for me. She had the kind of God kind of love for me. And that's the kind of love I want men and women to have. But it changed their life forever. Now then, if you'll walk in obedience to God's Word and you'll walk on this platform of grace and love. The king says you can come and ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. And when you ask him for anything and he touches people that are unbelievers like that, I'm going to tell you, when the whole church starts walking in accordance with God's Word, we're going to make such an impact on this world. We're going to bring this world to Jesus because of a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know that? I'm tired of serving a dead church. I want to be one that's doing something. 
that Jesus is hearing our prayers and answering them. And it takes us dying to self and walking holy before God every day for that to happen. We should have no problems with the families. Every man and woman should be dead to self and dead to sin and walking holy before God. Every one of you. Anything your husband or your wife does, I mean, if they don't do something just right, just love them. I mean, you do just exactly what, when the Lord, when I did something, you know, when I was building our little house and I did some things and I thought I was doing it right, but whenever I told Cheryl, I didn't just like she, what? You're going to build us a house and you didn't even ask me? Well, she got so upset at me and fussed at me and I didn't know what to do. I thought I was doing something right. The boy, she was reading me the right act, but that night when we got home, she was upset. God, what am I supposed to do with this man you gave me? And the Lord spoke to her and said, love him. When she said, love him, she called me in. And that night when she called me in crying, she said, honey, the Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I was talking to the Lord. What am I supposed to do? And he said, you're supposed to love him. And she was holding me and loving me. And I looked at him and I said, Lord, thank you. I sure did need that help tonight. <laughs> but we've all been there, haven't we? Every one of us had those times. And there's been times when I haven't been so nice. You know, that I've said something that Cheryl didn't like either. But when that happens, remember, stay dead and just love each other and we'll get over it in a few minutes. We won't have to go there. Stay dead, walk into God kind of love. And when we do, we defeat the devil. And when we walk on this place of love and grace, then when we have a need for somebody else we can ask and the king will show up and the devil's defeated and people will see the glory of God. Wow! Don't you love to see Jesus show up and do wonderful things? I love it. I love it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and thank you and worship you for all the things you've done. I thank you for your word. I thank you how true it is and how you bless us. Now, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for everything. Now, Lord, I forgot something. You just called it to my spirit. I just, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Melanie, come up here. I want you to give your testimony. Didn't you have a testimony? Yeah, I forgot about her. I forgot about her. She had a testimony she wanted to give. Something great happened in her life this week. Praise God. The Lord just called it to my spirit right there. Yes, something that I had been praying for for 10 years happened this week, and I started praying with Cheryl and Thurman and Ty and Cheryl about it over the summer, and it's our older daughter. She left our home in rebellion at age 17. And... A lot of things and a lot of water under the bridge that really you all don't need to hear. What you need to hear is that over a period of time starting this fall, when our younger daughter left home and she left in rebellion, and I was so broken and just devastated by what she had done, and she was going out to live with her older sister. And I thought, man, it doesn't get any worse than this. But the Lord spoke to me that the day we were taking our younger daughter to the airport, and I'd walked in love with her the whole time and helped her pack and the whole nine yards. And he said, you think you're turning Heidi over to Tara, who's our older daughter, but you're not. You're releasing her to me. And so after our younger daughter got out there with the older sister, it was about two weeks before my first encounter with Tara, the older daughter. And the door just started opening just a little bit by a little bit. And this past week, the culmination of all of it was is that she said, Mom, I'd like to have a heart-to-heart talk with you. 
And my first thought was, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> Great faith. But, you know, after all that we'd been through, it was a little bit intimidating. And so she said, no, Mom, you haven't done anything wrong. Everything's fine. And so we began just having a really heart-to-heart conversation, and forgiveness flowed. And it was so wonderful. And I just want to give the Lord thanks for that. And then in addition to that, I got to see Heidi um, this past Wednesday. It was the first time in four months I met her over in McKinney. And she's involved in things that, you know, it's like Thurman said a minute ago, when they're 18, you can't tell them anything. So I just don't even go there with her. I just ask questions, and I just loved her. Anyway, so two days passed Thursday and Friday, and I was supposed to have heard back from her. I didn't hear a word. And, in fact, her cell phone was turned off. I didn't realize she had lost her phone charger. So Saturday I'm puttering around, and I called her. I got hold of her at 2 o'clock, and then she called me. I was out doing some other chores. And then she called me three times, and I thought, my goodness, I wonder what that's about. And so I went in to call her, and she says, Mom, I'm on my way home. I could have just fallen over right there on this spot. And I thought, oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord, for that. I cleaned the refrigerator out this morning. <laughs> but, you know, just the little things like that. You want your children to always think of your home as clean and inviting. And so when she got there and came in the front door, I just mopped the last of the floor and we had a really good visit yesterday, and I just give the Lord praise for that. She's still at our house today. She's going to be with us for a week. And you don't know some of the dark places that I have walked through. And I was in a, a tie. I want to share this, too, because Ty had talked with me about just calling their name in the Spirit and speaking to them that there's no distance. So Friday in Gainesville, I had played for this memorial service. And I went in this little chapel where nobody could see me, nobody but just God and me. And I began just calling out. I said, Heidi, come home. I love you so much. Come home. And so Saturday when the phone, you know, rang, it was Heidi, and she said she was coming home. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You know that that was an answer to prayer. So I just really would covet your prayers this week that God would just bathe her in his love and that she would really have an understanding. We're all about loving her. We're not into controlling her life. We just want God's plans and purposes for her life to prevail. Amen. Thank you. Praise the King. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Michelle wants to tell us something. She's got her little hand up here. So what do you got to tell us, young lady? Okay, last night the devil brought a cold on me, and I was thinking, this is not happening. I'm like, I can't have it. So I cast him out, and then my dog started throwing up. So then I cast her, the devil out of her, and everyone's been fine ever since. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else got a testimony before we close out today? I'm sorry I didn't do that earlier. I forgot that, but I guess the Lord was in control. Now, James got one, and while he's coming, I'll tell you those of you. Okay, go go ahead. I was just going to say the media is back there. It's free. Anything you want, take it. If you want to leave a donation for the ministry, the box is over here, and that's all I had to say. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Okay, I was going to give this one, I guess, last week. So we live out in the country. We have about a quarter-mile road from the the farm road to our house, and and over the years, the road has gotten very rutted, and so I got an estimate on, on how much it would take to fix it, and it was quite a bit. 
And the guy said, well, if you can find someone local with, with a, a blade or a road grader, you know, that'll help save you some money. So you know, I looked around. There wasn't anyone around. So I was going to work one day. And uh, there was a, a road company that was fixing the local roads, putting blacktop on. And there was a road grader on the side. There's like, <laughs> I passed that by. And then, and then the Lord put the thought in his mind. It's like, go back and ask him if they can, uh, if he can rent it. It's here. Because a lot of the cost of that equipment is trucking it into your area and then renting it once it's there. So the the estimate was like four hundred dollars just to get the thing in here and out. That's just to get the equipment. So, so the Lord impressed me. So I turned around and said, "Okay, Lord, give me favor with these guys. So rent me this equipment. <laughs> Maybe not for me to purposely use it, but whatever." So I went back there, and um, so I, I I asked the guy there, you know, whose road grader is this? And he says, "Well, it's the boss's." And they gave me his number. So I called them and I told them my situation. I says, "You know, I'm about two miles north of you guys, so it's not very far." Um, what would you charge to, you know, to go up there and grade my road? Because I just really need it leveled off. It's just rutted, and we can't fix it until it's level. And uh, so he asked me a little bit more. I said, well, okay, how, how wide, how long? So I said, 1,000 feet long, about 12 foot wide. He said, no problem. I'll just go do it for free. You know, one of my guys on his brakes will go up there. I said, praise the Lord. So they went up there and fixed it for free. Huh? They went up there and fixed it for free. Now you can't beat the favor like that, can oh, you, Jay? No, Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.